Hey, pull up a chair. Attacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. Ten minutes, 15, 20 minutes later, they say, remember the first question? Not the first, but the tenth question? Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. If you get it in order, you get extra points. They said nobody gets it in order. It's actually not that easy. But for me, it was easy. And that's not an easy question. Mike Murphy. (laughs) Uh, You know, I want to say we did not start with that because we wanted to mock the president for boasting about his um, his uh, test, uh, his dementia test. Uh, I actually wanted to play that uh, because I do have concerns about you, Mike. And I am going to be asking you the five words sometime (laughs) later in this podcast so uh here we are hey how you doing i'm good i'm good my answer to any question is romando uh <laughs> so I'm, i've clearly lost my mind guess but, who's uh, with us the I'm, one of the one of the original one of the great hackaroos of all time john heilman of the circus the recount msnbc i mean he's a man of a million affiliations Weather channel yeah, exactly. daily racing form <laughs> he's everywhere hey john i'm just gonna do republican democrat <laughs> podcast embarrassment doofus how about that <laughs> okay I'm the good so that in that list don't worry all right okay nice We're to see you guys and hear you guys now. fantastic here we go so 98 days left uh 53 days i believe until the first seven uh states start voting uh coronavirus uh raging and one thing that is very clear is one guy who has felt the impact of coronavirus is Donald Trump, uh, who is in a big, deep hole here. What say you guys about where we're at at this this point in this saga? Groundhog Day. I'm getting bored. You know, it's Trump versus coronavirus round 807. He loses every round. He doesn't change up his game. I'm tired of the crazy. Meanwhile, people are dying. I'm particularly ticked off because I my nose just went to prison. I had my first uh, COVID test two days ago, and now it's 10 days to find out. I, I think I'm fine. I'm asymptomatic, but I got vaguely exposed to somebody uh, who tested positive. So uh, I can tell you on the retail end of the equation, uh, it's frustrating. And the POTUS is doing nothing to fix it. I got to tell you guys, I am bleary-eyed because... Major League Baseball looks to me as rickety, might go out of business uh, just days after beginning. So I felt obligated to stay up past midnight to see whether the Cubs would blow an eight-run lead, uh, which they almost (laughs) did. Uh, But but the fact is... You're used to that, though. (laughs) Yes. But but, but Heilman, uh, there is this Trump through sheer will wants to make this go away. Right. Uh, And... It, it's it's not going away. I said from the beginning, you can't spin a pandemic, and that dissonance is killing him. You look at all these polls, and you know his ratings on coronavirus are abysmal, and they're dragging everything else down. And it's not clear what he can do about that. Right. I mean, it's the case that there. I was talking to somebody who a lot person long close to Donald Trump a few days ago who was saying. You know, when they started to make the pivot or try to make the pivot, you know, they, they, he put the mask on. He had the, the briefings last week uh, where he was back in the briefing room. The briefings were, by his standards, less unhinged than previous briefings. And this person said to me, you know, they now finally realize 
that he's in a primary with a pandemic. He's got to be. He's got to beat the beat the pandemic, or at least give a sense to the country that he has a handle on the pandemic before he can even move on to a competitive race with Joe Biden. If he can't do that, he's doomed. And this person said, you know, you look at his approval rating. He was at fifty-one. The high point of his coronavirus approval rating was the week when he said, "I'm a wartime president," back in March. And ever since then, it's been straight down. He's in the low thirties now. And this person said, you know, if he can get up in the mid forties in the next month on that metric alone. He could make it a competitive race, not guaranteed to win, but could make it at least competitive with Biden. And I said, well, sure, but, you know, pigs could fly out of my ass, you know, on our, you know, in the next 12 hours, too. Like, what's the likelihood that a Donald Trump is going to suddenly become a different? That sounds painful, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 tell me if you've sold the pay-per-view rights on that, because we can talk <laughs> after the show. Sounds like a moneymaker to me. If anybody would, it would be Heilman. Yeah. But anyway, the, go ahead, the, John. The, I'm the, point, the, point I, the point I about that is, although, yes, painful, but also quite unlikely. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it, even that first, that first briefing he did. He said, you know, somebody asked him what the strategy was for opening school. He said, well, we're working on a strategy. It's like, we're working on a strategy. We're four, we're four months into this thing and you guys still don't have a strategy yet. Well, and schools are he, supposed to open within days. They're starting to open. Right. All right. Well, listen, right. he was down in North Carolina yesterday, Murphy. And to your point about the fact that it is Groundhog Day, amid this offensive that Heilman mentions to try and get on top of this thing, uh, here's what he had to say at his press conference down there. We've set record job numbers. We've set record numbers, whether it's a pure V or a little bit less than that. I think it's going to be very good. If uh, therapeutically we come up with some answers very quickly, which I think we will, uh, then you're going to have a a tremendous recovery. Uh, Likewise with the vaccines, if you do that by the end of the year, that's ahead of schedule, substantially ahead of schedule. And it's ahead of anything that's ever taken place in terms of vaccines before. So I think if those things happen, if just one of those events happen, uh, you'll go right back into that V. And I think you're probably in the V anyway. Uh, I really do believe a lot of the governors should be opening up states that uh, they're not opening. And we'll see what happens with them. But a lot will have to do with the fact that therapeutically, I think you can have some great answers vaccine wise. Likewise, he's talking about governors should be opening up states. There are states all around the country that are contemplating closing down again because their emergency rooms are overrun. They have record numbers of cases. Florida, Texas has has had these huge problems. Um, By the way, states where governors followed his initial, uh, you know, instinct to 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 reopen. It, It is there's a disconnect. And I. I don't know whether, you know, whether he's disciplined enough to implement the strategy that Heilman talks about. No, no, he's not. We've been to this laboratory. It's like football. Okay, we're going to go to the passing game. It's our only chance. Right. Then we look and the quarterback has no arms. Ball's (laughs) never going to go in the air. Trump's campaign is nothing but therapy for Trump. Crowds, applause, and rambling, either on Twitter or in person. So what you just heard was was a good you know, window into his head. Okay, the, the vaccines are going to come. And, and to be fair, the vaccine stuff is going quite well, but it's too early to yeah. know. But on right. the scale, the RDNA well, is Well, let's real. hope it does come. Yeah. It's still not going to come in time to... Well, it, well it but no, but that's boost. not my point, though. My, my point is there will be some relatively good vaccine step one news. They're in a trial of 30,000 now, which will create a vaccine bubble. Doesn't mean people will have the vaccine, but there'll be this hope. And we've seen that during the first wave. Then people get excited and overreact. But Trump is betting on 
vaccine bubble, euphoria, economic comeback, magic, you know, hobo saves him. And you can just see he's wishing aloud. There's no strategy to manage it or anything. He's just hoping he wins the lottery ticket. And that's pretty much all he has left unless Biden really, really screws up when Biden finally emerges, which the virus has allowed Biden not to do. Because you're right. John was right. It's Trump versus the virus and Trump is losing, as is the country. Right. And, you know, the question is, you know, for them, I thought, yes, the, obviously the, the, the idea that Trump is going to be consistent uh, with the message is, is unlikely and, and we know that he's not going to. But the, the, the other thing that's really, I think, daunting for them is that time is running really short. Yep. Yeah, and is. you still have you still have people in the president's orbit who talk about, you know, how the third quarter GDP numbers that are going to come out on November 1st are going to be great. And you're like, guys, Election Day may be November 3rd, but the election starts in a few weeks. And right. there's going to be millions of votes starting right after Labor Day. They're going to come in. In this environment, more people than ever we know are going to want to vote absentee early by mail. And Trump can try to invalidate those votes all he wants rhetorically. But the reality is that by the middle of October, before the last debate on the current schedule, you're going to have maybe half the votes are going to already be banked. Um, I mean, this election is not this election is not a November 3rd election. This is an election that's going to be more than I think any election ever we're going to have more early vote than ever. So that's going to create various co- complexities. But they're on a clock where the Biden campaign has done incredible clock management. They've kept him, you know, they've kept the election totally. being about Donald Trump deep, deep, deep into the calendar where now it's like the voting is about to start and and Trump is nowhere. Yeah, but let, let me disagree with you a little bit, even though I fundamentally agree. It's going to be a huge mail-in vote. And that's bad for Trump because the, yeah, the time and when it comes in is, is not. Is not. Yeah, that, that's yeah. where. It has been my experience in California and other places, particularly California, which is the super absentee, is that people tend to hold their absentee votes. And, you know, yeah. it really means election day is like two weeks long because they, they kind of want to see the show. Now, this year, it may be different because there's so much anti-Trump intensity. There are probably people who are literally on their calendar planning to, you know, have a celebration, pop champagne and mail that <laughs> vote as soon as they can. So the old normal may not be, but traditionally... It's still in October vote, the absentee vote, or the bulk of it. But if they're popping champagne, then they're not people who are on the bubble anyway. Right, campaign won't move. But But I think on top of that, on top of that, though, Mike, I think one of the things that's going to the Biden campaign is going to do and Democrats are going to do is they're going to play up the fact that Trump is going to seek to mess with the vote and try to say to people, hey, the, the, yes, the pandemic is going to make this unpredictable. You don't want to go stand in a line. Don't hold your vote till late. Get that thing in the mail because we don't want to have overtime and overtime election. That's going to be a big public communication part of the Democratic effort yep. yeah. is to tell people, don't make this a normal. Don't sit on that vote. You know what you want to oh, do. Get I, it done now. I agree. I think they ought to make a thing out of it. Uh, every Tuesday starting in September, have Dump Trump Tuesday, have parties, people mailing in ballots, meeting girls, you know, in a COVID-friendly way <laughs> under the, the CDC guidelines. <laughs> but the point is, make it a cultural Nicely thing. Nicely done there. Yeah, good, uh, well, good you know, the Hex on Tap lawyers are still defending you from last week, so we, <laughs> we got the memo. Uh, I kid, I kid. But the point is, I, John, I think there's something they could really mine there different than ever before using social media, and uh, they should do it. Okay, let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. You know, Gibbs, every once in a while uh, on Twitter, people will write in and say, Axe, you make me nauseous. But nausea is nothing to joke about. It's like getting stuck in the back of a car and you're kind of a little bit hemmed in and you just you get that feeling and it starts in your stomach. It's not. Yeah. A good and, and, and like you're on your way to something good, a, a celebration or party or something. And 
Now you're nauseous and you can't get rid of it, except there is an answer now, and it's called Relief Band. Tell us about Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that has been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and so much more. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural relief with zero side effects, zero, for as long as needed. The technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients, but now through Relief Band, it's available to all of us. Here's how it works with Relief Band. It stimulates a nerve in the wrist that travels to the part of the brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach telling you that you're sick. Relief Band is the only over-the-counter wearable device that has been used in hospitals and oncology clinics to treat nausea and vomiting. If you know somebody who deals with nausea, Relief Band makes a great gift. I'm telling you, Relief Band works. We know from our own experience, we sent one to our engineer who often gets nauseous during our shows, and he reports 100% cure. Don't fall for those cheap bands you see in drugstores or on your Instagram feed. All right. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for our Hacks listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code HACKS, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no questions asked 30-day money-back guarantee. So head to reliefband, R-E-L-I-E-F-B-A-N-D, Dot com and use our promo code HACKS for 20% off plus free shipping. So Biden, I think he has, I think he's had a great sort of two months here and they've played this, uh, this really well. He's, he's played offense and defense uh, very well here. He's now running an ad. He just started a $15 million ad buy in the six uh, battleground, uh, main battleground states. Let's, uh, let's listen to it. I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. She was the most welcoming person you could ever imagine. Her home was the safe place. It was difficult to comprehend how quickly everything kind of spiraled downwards. We didn't even know that she had COVID till a week later in her passing. The president made a huge mistake in downplaying this virus. There was a lack of leadership, a lack of responsibility, and the lack of resources. I felt like our elderly have not been a priority for this administration, that they don't matter. And I feel like my grandmother didn't matter. Last time I saw my grandmother, we weren't going to be allowed in the hospital. We asked if we could video chat her, and everyone could say a little something. We gathered as a family, we prayed. But the fact that she was alone, it just breaks my heart. I think pretty effective and powerful ad, but strategically going after the COVID issue and really piling on what is driving Trump down, but also going after seniors. Right. That to me is the real. Uh, oh my God. Yes. You know, it's interesting. I was looking at some Florida polling of only Republicans and independents, whites who are not for Biden yet are still thinking and not for Trump. And it's the 65, 60 plus numbers that are really trouble for him. I mean, he's got trouble yeah. everywhere. He's losing Florida, but 
that is a Republican group that is just resonating against Trump. And I think the Biden guys are smart to pound the fracture. He and he carried them last right. time, and so did uh, Romney. It's one of the one of the several groups that uh, he carried last time that he's not carrying this time, led by suburbs. But um, the, you know what's interesting is Trump is not engaging much as he doesn't want to engage in public about uh, uh, about the coronavirus issue. He's not engaging in it at all in his uh, in his media campaign. He wants right. some. He's ta- he's doing something else. Uh, and I want to talk about that. Another senior ed. Uh, the picture is a lady, wa- mm. an elderly lady watching the TV while there's somebody creeping around over her shoulder out in the garden through the window at night. Right. Seattle's pledge to defund its police department by 50%, even including a proposal to remove 911 dispatchers from police control. Joe Biden said he's absolutely on board with defunding the police. Listen closely. Yes, absolutely. Hello, you've reached 911. I'm sorry that there is no one here to answer your emergency call, but leave a message and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. I'm Donald J. Trump, and I approve this message. We should point out that the closing scene is uh, uh, the, the, her phone on the floor, uh, and the title on the screen is, uh, and this is their tagline on all their ads now, you won't be right. safe in Joe Biden's America. <laughs> you know, very subtle. The first time I saw that, I thought that was Melania's mom out in Bethesda, and it was Donald <laughs> creeping around trying to find her uh, hiding out in the house. But look, I thought it was, it is a good, the whole law and order thing there could be some energy for trump in that but this thing is so heavy-handed and clumsy it's almost like a a parody of an ad and i think the the kind of voters he needs in the suburbs who have been brought up on kind of ironic post-modern parody and comedy are are just going to roll their eyes and laugh at that i I don't want to be like too old-fashioned here but it's also just contains in the middle of it a giant lie you know, which is yes. that Hannity, that Hannity claiming that, that Biden is in favor of defund the police. And I don't want to be too, you know, earnest here. But, you know, there was once upon a time in a normal campaign, you would have been like, OK, we can't go that far. We can't put something that's just blatantly untrue in the ad or we're going to get slammed by the, the fact checkers in the mainstream media. And so we have some shame. So that's, you know, a, a big problem, because I think we've talked before about Biden has been very resolute about not letting himself get put on the side of the defund the police people. Yeah. But I do think to your point, Mike, you know, you see I read a piece last night, a very, very good piece uh, by the by the Associated Press, two reporters who did a piece from Portland, one from inside the courthouse and one from outside the courthouse. Fantastic piece of reporting that kind of captured the whole thing that's happening in Portland and would make you even if you are like I am. um, really deeply concerned about the federalization of of those of this conflict and and seeing these 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 federal uh, law enforcement in camouflage with some of the things they've been doing if you read this story you you look at it and go you know the protesters are at night the ones who are out at night attacking that courthouse are out of control totally. and and there's peaceful pro- there's peaceful protest happening during the day there's out of control rioting that's happening at night and they are put aside what you think about the issues they ostensibly are for or against. They are giving Donald Trump a gift by giving him the opportunity. There is no question about it to make this make this case. Yeah. Well, you know, if they want to, if they moved, if they kept those protests peaceful and moved them away from that federal courthouse and got out of the jurisdiction where the feds would be ostensibly allowed to go, it could, it would be great. It would be fantastic. It'd be fine. There'd be no political problem. But they, that thing is starting to be something that w- should worry anyone. Who thinks that yes, this this gets this 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 broadside they're launching against Biden is crude to Mike's point, but more of that 
more of what's happening at night, mm-hmm. in the dead of night at that courthouse in Portland. More of that around the country is a problem for the Democratic Party and a problem this election. I totally agree. I agree with this. I agree with this. I mean, if I were the Biden folks, I'd be very nervous about this. And and if I were the Trump folks, I would I would be very happy to see this. And, you know, he kind of lit the match by sending the feds into sure. Portland. Uh, now there are reverberations all over the country. And there and it's an easy thing for provocateurs on the left and the right uh, yep. to stir this thing up. Yeah. Uh, so this is his play. I, I think it's a it's a tough play because the country's so consumed by the virus that he's trying to play on an issue. But I also think it's his suburban play. Uh, It's a big play to try and get these suburban voters back on his side who have drifted away from him. Um, I think the problem with it is there is an underlying racial component to the message that is not very subtle. And yes. where he, his, if his ratings on the virus are bad, his ratings on race are worse. And I yes. think among those suburban voters, they're deeply uncomfortable with him playing racist politics. Uh, that's one of the reasons they've walked away from particularly women there. It's, again, as discussed previously, but it's it's very stark relief right now. The notion that Joe Biden is like somehow on the side of Antifa is like a hard case to make because you know, the history of Joe Biden is not, he's not like, an, and he's not exactly the, he's the guy who put 100,000 cops on the street in 1994. If anything, you know, there's a problem for him in the Democratic Party. That's exactly. I agree with that. But they're both challenged now. Um, Trump is challenged because he has no subtlety. The key when you have something, and yeah, look, I'm the Portland stuff, I think is the, we like violence crowd hijacking a cause that in many other rallies, many other places has been, um, Uh, peaceful and productive and positive. And you see it in the numbers, you see it in the campaign, but this Portland thing's a problem. The Trump's challenge is he always plays overkill. He's got to be the arsonist and the fireman. Now, the way you make an issue like that work is your, your reasonable, your law and order, your stability versus anarchy on the streets of Portland. But Trump is his own kind of anarchy and he, he kind of gets in the way right. of the cure. But if I were the Biden people, it's time for Joe to lay into this a little more. Because this is more. starting to move. Yes. And, uh, you know, suburbs don't like TV footage of looters. And, um, and the, the Biden guys did a great job at the beginning of this with defunding cops, but it's time for an anti I can't even pronounce it. The assholes in black shirts throwing rocks at things at midnight. Yes. Uh, Biden has got to raise that flag and push back a little. It'll work for him. And it, 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 otherwise he is going to give Trump an opportunity. And there's a big bright line here, right? It's not, it's, it is really easy, I think, to be for peaceful protest and for exactly. racial justice and against white supremacy, but also be against yeah. uh, violence directed at f- federal officers and federal and federal facilities. It's, it's not, this is a, it's not, this is not a subtle and, and, thing. You can, no, no, you know, you can do all of that and still, I think, justly attack Trump for being provocative. Yes. Unnecessarily provocative and trying to exploit this, but he should be very clear, Biden, uh, on uh, where he stands relative to the to the violence uh, in the streets. I mean, this whole we've talked about this many times, but he is he is uh, very credible when he does those things because he, you know, because of who he is. And that's one of Trump's uh, that's one of Trump's big problems here. Um, What else? What else do you guys think? Biden should be worried about right now. I think now. there are two things. Because right now, again, Biden's done a good job of this, but he's won this huge lottery ticket, which is the country was already looking to fire Trump. Then the COVID thing bungled up and made Trump go from 
trouble to disaster, and there hasn't been a need for Biden. You know, Biden hasn't been in the race, really. So now he's going to emerge with a VP pick, and he's going to emerge with a convention TV show, and he's going to emerge with the debates. And he just needs to be excellent at all those things, and he'll be in a he'll be in a very good position. But we don't know if he'll be excellent, and we don't know. The VP choice could give Trump something new to talk about. So that, you know, we've talked about right. a million times, you know, manage risk. Yeah. And it's coming soon. The biggest frustration on the Trump side is that they have not been able to smoke Joe Biden out, like and get him out in the open to be able to attack him. That's been, right. you know, with their being honest, that's their biggest frustration. Not not just that they haven't been able to find a frame that fits him and then that the senility thing doesn't seem to be working. And they recognize that trying to tie him to AOC and Antifa, not that the AOC and Antifa are the same thing, but that's the way they see it, right? To, to the puppet of the radical left, that that's a hard case to make. That's a bank shot. That's yeah. a bank shot. So like, they're like, how do we get there? Their question is, how do we smoke Biden out? And metaphorically, how do we get him out of the basement, get him out in the open where we can have a clear shot at him? They're super frustrated with that. And to Mike's point, he, you know, these things that are now a function of the calendar are going to draw him out onto the field to some extent. And, and other events will probably do that too. And that's where, you know, you have some risk of being able to, to be exposed. And well, if you're sitting over there in, in Trump land, you have to do that because you can't be yes. sitting there with a 40% or 39% approval rating and expect to win that election unless you utterly destroy and disqualify your opponent. And he's looking, he's been looking and probing for ways to do that. It hasn't worked yet. He need, he needs he does need a, a some sort he needs some help from Biden and so far Biden hasn't been at all helpful. So what about on the VP thing? We've talked about this before, um, but now it's we're down to the. Uh, I, I would guess that within the next uh, week uh, or less, Biden will be sitting down with candidates or at least zooming with candidates, uh, and. Uh, this thing is going to get very serious very quick. He's got a convention on August 17th uh, so that he needs to make a decision in the next couple of weeks. Not going to make his August 1st deadline. So, uh, Heilman, you're the you're the you're the snoop. What did you what do you hear? Well, I sort of assume that that given, you know, the history here for anybody who doesn't know it. Right. Normally, you know, you guys rolled out Biden on the Saturday before your convention. Yes. Hillary Clinton rolled out Tim Kaine on the Saturday before her convention. Now, I think because of the nature of this convention and other factors that they are not uh, they don't want to wait that long, but they're certainly not going to do it this weekend. So I would, if I were sitting around thinking about when do I think this is going to happen, the weekend between those two things, the the weekend of the Saturday, the, maybe Saturday the eighth is when you might see this this thing come out and. You know, I, I it's clear that there is, and you, we all saw this piece yesterday in Politico where Chris Dodd, uh, through a cutout, took a, a hard, a hard high stick shot at, at Kamala Harris. Yeah, that was that was surprising. Very openly, you know, kind of attacked her. But I will say, not to make an excuse for Chris Dodd, because he obviously got slammed by a lot of her fan, her friends in the press, and 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 so on. And it was a little unseemly. He was giving voice to a thing that is. Uh, that is around in Biden world about her, which is, you know, she's giving voice to a, a view that that people, those who are not pro-Harris, their main reason for not being pro-Harris is that they think there's a trust question and it goes back to the way she behaved in that debate in July of 2019. You know, the conventional wisdom still puts her at the top of the list. I still think that Elizabeth Warren's going to be on the short list. And I think there's a big shopping spree going on right now for who the third finalist is. And I think Susan Rice is getting a hard look. I think Karen Bass is getting a hard look. I think Tammy Duckworth is getting a hard look. I think mm-hmm. those are sort of the three candidates who are in contention to fill the third position of the final three that he's going to weigh. Because I think Harris 
and and Warren are going to be in that final three. And that's about as far as I'm willing to go at this moment. You know, the, the Biden people have done a good job because I've been reading all these TikToks and it's clear they're all very thinly sourced. Nobody's really talking. I mean, I trust you more than most to have a real bead on what's going on there. But the Biden guys have done a good job of kind of keeping it pretty tight. So I keep reading the same article over and over again. I don't know what he's going to do. I won't say what he ought to do. I've said it a hundred times on here, but I don't think it'll be Harris because ambition, trust, and the reviews you get of her behind the scenes in democratic politics in the Senate are not good. And the scrutiny this choice is going to have as a potential next president is going to be tremendous. Uh, not to mention, you know, the policy differences between them is an opportunity for Trump. So I don't know who it'll be, but I'll, I'm willing to bet money against uh, Kamala. Watch Bass. Well, let me uh, let, let, let me just say a, a, a word for Chris Dodd. Usually in Washington, people stab uh, other people in the back. He stabbed <laughs> her right in the front. I mean, he there was no there was no disguise about. Uh, about what he, he was up to. But look, that is, Kamala Harris is in certain ways the path of least resistance. She's a woman of color. She won't thrill anybody. She probably won't, uh, uh, you know, appall anybody. Uh, and and that's why she's always been at the top of the list. Uh, you know, I think that uh, by, there is a question of not just what she did in the debate, but one of the things that if I were Biden, I'd be thinking about is, is the person I pick going to begin running for president the day we get to mm-hmm. the White House? Because right. I don't want that. I want someone who's going to be uh, my Biden, someone who's going to be loyal in public, candid in private, someone I can hand major uh, tasks to, someone right. who's prepared to be president but is not running for president. Gina Raimondo. Right. And, uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Are... Clearing my throat. <laughs> <coughs> yeah. <laughs> this is our big thing here. We have to say Gina Raimondo, who I who I adore, a great person, yes. great public official. Yeah. We have scholar. to say it once every uh, podcast. But, um, you know, let's want, run through some of the names that you mentioned, John. Elizabeth Warren, more than any other candidate, I think, is someone who people would say, yeah, I could see her as president. Uh, she's she's smart. She's got the chops to be president. Uh, and uh, she would. Uh, she would, I think, uh, energize or at least uh, make happy uh, young progressive uh, voters. Although I have a real question as to whether any running mate genuinely has a lot to do with turnout. Mm-hmm. I think that's sort of mythology. The flip side of everybody's strength is their weakness. The flip side of Elizabeth Warren is, is it, is it, is it too much? Is it, yes. Would she be <laughs> immediately cast by the Republican Party as the candidate? Yeah. And, you know, and Trump as a, I mean, as Biden as a Trojan horse, I think that would be a concern. They think she's a gift for three quick reasons. One, liberal economic scare of the suburb. Two, she'll be fighting Biden within a year. She's an independent operator for good or bad. And the it sets up a Republican Senate seat, which maybe needed to hold control of the Senate, gift to Mitch McConnell out of Massachusetts, where there's a Republican governor. Well, if you think also about what the Trump people are doing right now, right, which is that we were talking about this a little bit a minute ago, which is that they're kind of shifting their frame away from Biden is senile to Biden is a puppet of the left. And that this pick would obviously feed that narrative. For, and, and, and the Biden people, I think, are aware of that for sure. On the other hand, and again, I've got no dog in, or horse or dog in this fight. You know, you've got people like Stan Greenberg, who traditionally not a, a lefty who made this presentation to the campaign saying, you know, your biggest problem is unity in the Democratic Party. You got to get progressives who are not enthused about you. 
Uh, if you want to guarantee progressive enthusiasm, this is the pick. Now, I have questions about whether that's true or not, to your point, David. I'm not sure. I always think that the, that the vice presidential candidate doesn't really get you very much. But that's the argument that's being made, is that if you want to bring this party together, that's something that Hillary Clinton had a hard time with in 2016, right? The left, the Sanders people never came home to her. That was one of the reasons that she lost. And the Biden people, I think, are aware that they have some softness on that side. So I think that in combination with the fact that Biden just, everyone says it, really likes her. And I think we all know that that's going to matter a lot in this selection is like, what does Biden, Biden feel about the person? Yeah. He keeps telling people over and over again, really, really likes Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Danger Will Robinson. That's what I say. He's ahead. Don't screw it up. Okay, let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. The other two candidates that you mentioned were uh, Tammy Duckworth, my senator, former client of mine, maybe the best story in American politics, uh, raised uh, overseas. She she had a very difficult uh, path up. uh, And obviously she was uh, what's known about her is that she was a war hero. She was shot down uh, in her Black Hawk helicopter that she was piloting in uh, in Iraq and lost both her legs, spent a year recovering, I think, you know, dozens and dozens of surgeries. Um, and she fought her way through all of that. Uh, and so that is a tremendous uh, story. The other, Karen Bass, was the Speaker of the mm-hmm. House in California before she went to Congress 10 years ago. She was there when you were messing around in California politics, Mike, with Arnold. Again, I I look at her voting record as a conservative, and I think she's out of her mind. But she is a grown-up legislator. She works well across the aisle. She is not in the cheap applause business. She's well-respected by the Pauls, which is a resonant chord with Biden, who sees himself as the same in the Senate. So she she is unknown, downside unknown. You know, all these federals, I mean, I'm a Duckworth fan, too. I think he he could do far worse than her. I think that could be a very good move for VP. But, you know, the, the Washington types always have a million votes, and that's an opportunity. But um, people respect Karen right. Vance on both sides of the aisles as a pro. Well, and read the Dodd thing, again, as a Rosetta Stone, right? Dodd, Dodd's knifing of Kamala, of Kamala Harris in the front is speaking for a constituency, an anti-Harris constituency that exists in Biden's orbit. He also, in that same, in that same, in that same, at the same time as he was knifing Harris in the front, he was, he said in this, or it was reported in this piece that he's boosting Karen Bass. And I think, you know, she's the head of the Congressional Black Caucus. She has openly said, David, to your point, when she's asked, will she run? She's like, I am not running for president in 20, in 2024. She's taking it off the table, which I think is an important thing. She, her, her future uh, political ambitions, she's tried to make it clear publicly and I'm sure privately to the Biden people that she's not going to be, she's the opposite of Kamala Harris. She has no intention to run for uh, for the presidency after having served as vice president, this would be the end of the line for her. So I think there's there's a definitely a swell of interest in Karen Bass for the reasons that we've said. And I, again, uh, I, I, I'm not sure where this all lands, but she right now is a little bit of the hot candidate in this consideration. The other person who was very hot, I mentioned, David, you said two people, but the third person I'm really interested in is Susan Rice. I'm interested to hear what you think about this because obviously someone with great national security credentials, 
huge disadvantages. In fact, she never run for public office before. And, and yeah. it's scary to put a first time candidate on the ticket. But what's her relationship like as you know it with Joe Biden? Because I think that matters a lot. How close were they uh, in the time that they worked together in the Obama administration? What was that personal chemistry like? You know, I was there for the first two years when she was the U.N. ambassador, so I didn't get to witness how she worked with Biden when she was the national security advisor. And I think that dynamic is an important one. He's clearly familiar with her. And one of the disadvantages some of these other candidates have is that they aren't that, you know, he doesn't really know them. He doesn't know uh, Karen Bass. He doesn't, you know, know Tammy Duckworth well. He doesn't. Uh, you know, and that's true of several other candidates. He does know Susan Rice. What their dynamic is, I, I, I don't know. Susan is whip smart. She knows, not only does she know foreign policy, but she also understands government and at a very high level. You know, when you're national security advisor, you have a bird's eye view on the presidency that few people have. And so uh, all of that is to the good. The big question is the one you raised, which is, you know, one of the reasons that... Um, uh, Obama chose Biden among many, and there were many reasons he chose him, but uh, was that he had had the experience of running in the national campaign. Mm-hmm. He knew how this crazy maelstrom worked, so he wasn't going to be shocked when he got thrown into the deep end of the pool. Um, you know, he, uh, Susan's never been in the deep end of the pool, and that that would be uh, that would be a concern. But she's, I think, manifestly uh qualified you know one name uh, before before you go on just let me get in for a minute because i'm dr short here because i look at it like a republican you know who will be at you're gonna bend well, two it, things. one you? you're right you, you don't put somebody in <laughs> on broadway who's never played a dinner theater you know it's just that it was a colin powell problem they're not candidates it's risky two yeah fox is going to change its logo to benghazi and that's a problem uh third and final thing i just want to chime in on bass here is in just an interesting factoid if you were to take the 500 top Democratic Pauls in California and in a secret ballot have them pick Kamala yeah. versus Karen Bass, Bass would beat Kamala three to one for whatever reason. And yeah. they know them both. Yeah. Okay, let's take a minute to hear from our sponsors. Heilman, you did not mention uh, not only Gina Raimondo, but another governor, uh, <laughs> who, another governor, Gretchen Whitmer, who who has gotten a lot of notice uh, at times during this. And your your list uh, uh, is uh, noteworthy for her omission. My sense is that she's probably still in the mix, but um, my sense of it is that I wouldn't say she's out of the mix, and and who knows? We might, I might, you know, be proven wrong. There's more there. They've done a great job of decoying on other things, and they're he's all locked in on Gretchen Whitmer. Possible. My sense of it is that she it was not has not been that enthusiastic about the job, and has been you know is is not for whatever reason she was very she was in the, I would have said in the very top tier of candidates back in in the early days of the pandemic. And then she sort of has faded. You don't just hear her name bandied about very much. Now, like I say, maybe that's just very clever. And and in fact, they're, yeah. you know, that's possible. Crafty possible. On her, on her part and on their part. Maybe her deal is to be enthusiastic in private and to be reserved in public. You know, others right. have been more overt about their interest in the job. But politically, she would be strong. Key state, Right in the trenches on coronavirus there, got hit hard early. 
had to deal with Trump, generational, or she, she would be fairly high on my list for the politics of it. And just finally, I think the thing that people forget about this is, and John alluded to it earlier, is the VP is in the long run about governing, but in the short election run, it is a right. message about what the candidate for president cares Your about values. and who they are. Mm-hmm. That's why Palin hurt McCain so much. Right. And again, that's why the governing choice is clearly yep. Gina Raimundo. <laughs> yeah, but oh, I mean, I think it's also there's I think the, the the real conundrum for Biden is for the reasons that you say at a time when when racial equity has become such a focus of the debate. That's a tough decision. You know, uh, Man, it is very hard. I think it is just and, I, and I'm not big on 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 this kind of symbolic politics as a per se thing. And I get why people say, you know, it shouldn't be. You know, this should this job has to be determined by his gut, by who he believes would be the most the best president, uh, ready from day one, who we would have as the best governing partner. But in the moment we live in right now, um, given everything, the politics of it, and and really just the gestalt of 2020 and everything going on, it is the pull to make history and and put an African American, a woman of color at least, on the ticket. I just think it's going to be very hard for them to resist. I just think, given that there there are qualified candidates around, and there are candidates that he likes, and there are candidates with a lot of huge, of assets in that area, I'm not saying it's that that it's compulsory, but I think it's going to be uh, very hard for them to to not go that direction. And the risk of not going in that direction with 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 some ch- substantial chunks of the of the Democratic Party, uh, African Americans to begin with, but also the left. Yeah, it's a very risky business, I think, um, in deflating a large part of the party if you went the other way. Who knows? But I disagree. I mean, in conventional wisdom, he'll get murdered if he doesn't do it, which is why I think he will. But Joe Biden has a connection to the African-American vote that's so strong, it chased all the African-American candidates out of the primary. And the only primary he won when his campaign was dead was motivated by black voters in South Carolina. So the idea to me that if Biden doesn't pick a number two person, to make an identity statement, he's going to, against Donald Trump, suffer huge political damage. I just don't buy it. I, I think it's it's not right. Well, my, uh, my, my recommendation, which means nothing, <laughs> uh, would be that Biden make the decision based on the person that he feels most comfortable in and the pe- person he most believes in. And if that leads him to an African-American candidate, that is, that is, um, that's great, and if and if it leads him somewhere else, I think there will be uh, some uh, there will be some upset if he if he does it uh, if he if he goes the other way. But uh, the question is again, how much does the VP candidate actually mean? And uh, especially in a race against Donald Trump, are progressives going right. to sit out a race right. against Donald Trump? Is that- the African American community going to sit out a race uh, against Donald Trump? I, I think that. That you know, these are the kinds of considerations that they're going to have to. One last point on this: what we don't know, and I'm sure they're doing research right now as to what people's expectations and concerns are about. Is there a rattlesnake at your house? There, Who's that I'm, outdoor. gets... I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> out there. I'm outdoors. No, <laughs> worry about you getting bit by a rattlesnake. I'm, I'm outdoors. Don't worry. If I get bitten by a rattlesnake, I'll let you know. But um, he is in a red county, so it's a new world. Good. <laughs> but the. Uh, <laughs> Is there a special burden on Biden here or a special standard that's going to be applied to his vice presidential candidate? Because he is mm-hmm. the oldest candidate who ever yeah, ran totally. by, by yes. some measure. Yes. Are people going yes. to look at so the So whoever yes. it is, it seems to me, does have to pass the she's ready um, to step into the job test. They all do. It's this it's the singular 
thing that you know, it's a place where good politics make good policy and good policy makes good politics. You, every, it's the only screen that matters is ready to be president from day one and does the filter. People in my business, the moment the pick is rolled out, they look and go qualified. Yes. Yeah, talk about rattlesnakes. It does matter <laughs> a huge amount. It's another reason why Palin was such a disastrous pick for McCain because, of course, he was a yeah. three-time cancer mm-hmm. survivor. The actuarial tables were against him. Yes. People looked at her and placed a special burden on that. But I just It want- wasn't a country first choice. Correct. And, and I'll just go back and say one last thing, Mike. Go I got I to gotta say it about the thing, the point you made about Biden and the African-American vote. You can look at that from the opposite point of view, which is black voters think that they gave Joe Biden the nomination. And I think the concern, at least politically, the concern that, that you have is that if you don't put an African-American in this moment on the ticket, that that constituency, which feels like they gave Joe Biden the nomination, that the, there's a chance that that they will be alienated from him that they will feel that they've been disrespected and that you need that turnout that Hillary Clinton did not get. He's sensitive to it, obviously, because whenever he talks about this, he also talks about uh, the Supreme Court and he talks about cabinet agencies and so on. So he is is obviously laying some groundwork if he doesn't go so, in that direction to to uh to, yep. t- to try and address that concern real quick because we're running out of time and no i get the argument john I, I just think if there's one vote biden's got the lock on it would be that so reach out to the suburbs uh, i, know well, I think the the primary pri- primary proved it primary proved it. hillary clinton thought that too in 2016 by the way Anyway, said, uh, oh. let's do a quick super fast that's how she won let, the primary no 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 she um Joe Biden won the primary uh, with African. Okay, okay, uh, we got. No, I'm we, saying we I both, said Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah, Hillary Clinton yeah, won the. Yeah, 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 boys, yeah, yeah. boys, come on. Clinton, let's Clinton had problems that Biden okay. never did and doesn't now. But let's quickly go yeah. through the president test. Let's rank them quickly. I think Warren for sure, Tammy Duckworth probably. Yes. Susan Rice a little less. Kamala a little less. Raimondo, all kidding aside, seriously yes. Anybody you think would really Bass. Probably not quite up at the Warren level or the Ramunda or the Gretchen Whitmer. Probably. I mean, is anybody like going to go out in flames? I'm not going to play. And uh, one of the reasons I'm not going to, I mean, it is from the curb, you you know, we can offer our analyses, but at the end of the day, you don't really know. I mean, the idea that anybody's prepared to be president of the United States right. is, 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 is right. Yeah. I'm asking okay. you who you're going to kill. Mike's asking about media analysis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that I'm trying to avoid it. You did it adroitly. <laughs> uh, I will give you one example. I'll give you one example that I think maybe get me, will get me in trouble with someone. I think it'd be very hard to pick a mayor, you know, for, for given the way the press yeah. looks at this. So Keisha Lance Bottoms, whose name has been on the list and is incredibly impressive yeah. rising star of the democratic party. I think that that would for the, for the press score. And I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong, but I think a lot of people in my business would say, really? Um, a mayor? Is she actually really qualified to be president of the United States? I think that would be one possible example, someone whose name has been mentioned a lot that would get a lot of pushback from the press on that front. All right, here, here. let me just be a little bit more direct. First of all, I think you're wrong about Susan Rice. I do think, as I said earlier, that the proximity to the presidency that she has had is a pretty extraordinary experience for someone who might take that job. I wouldn't rate her low on that list. I think governors by almost by dint of what they've been through in the last six months, but also the nature of the job, are in some ways pre-qualified. 
uh, for the executive role and for handling crises, which is what people most are concerned about, uh, about presidents. But these mm-hmm. governors have been pressure tested. So I would certainly put them in that category. Karen Bass was the Speaker of the House during a fiscal crisis in the state of California, managed a very, very tough process uh, in a, you know, disparate state. Under the leadership of a fine Republican governor, but we, we'll talk about that later. Um, uh, but you're right. You're right. Executive people have really been tested, and that's a feather in their cap, and they've got good stories. I agree that there there has to be curb recognition. <laughs> people have to have, see from the curb, yeah, this person is uh, capable of being president, but it's most important that Biden feels like they're capable of being president, because mm-hmm. if he believes it, I think he can sell it. And, you know, Bass is kind of a Biden of the House, and that mm. might be her magic ticket. On the states that matter, the battleground states, Michigan, Trump won last time. He's down eight now. Wisconsin, he won last time. He's down seven. These are average of the polls. Pennsylvania down seven. Florida down seven. Arizona down three. North Carolina down three. And then tied in Texas, tied in Iowa, down a point or so in Georgia, down a point and a half in Ohio. Biden has a million pathways here uh, right now. They may close, but boy, mm-hmm. I'd be really nervous if I was looking at these numbers over at Trump headquarters. Oh, it's all going Biden's way. But, he, you know, as we say, he's got 98 days of campaign, the part that counts, debates, VP choice all coming. So, you know, this is an old story where you have the president of August. But yeah, the fundamentals have been bad for Trump for two years and COVID made him a lot worse. And as we said earlier, it's hard to see the toolbox Trump has to get out other than ripping Biden's face off, which if if the Biden guys are on the ball, they're going to be able to prevent. So I hate to be Trump right now, particularly because Trump won't listen to one is people are mostly dregs who don't know what to do or do the wrong thing. And if they have a smart idea, Trump would, would rather behead them than listen. So it's they're they're in real trouble. Yeah, though, Heilman, you said one thing earlier that I that stuck in my head, which is, you know, about that ad where they proclaim that Biden said that he uh, was for defunding police. There is this variable that we haven't really faced uh, before, which is you have a candidate in Trump who will do anything, say anything. Yes. There are no barriers. There are no. That is something also that would you know you, you would keep me awake at night if I were on the Biden team because there there is the things that you can't imagine are things that could happen. Yes, all the things that would keep me awake are things none of us have mentioned so far. Trump make, d- d- t- taking making efforts, uh, some legal and some illegal, to suppress the vote in these various states. Trump's assault on mail-in voting, which will again be a legal thing that happens in courts and could be extra legal in various other ways. Foreign interference in the election, which he has invited on multiple fronts. We know that in terms of misinformation, disinformation, fake news, that you're going to have not just Russia, but Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, all kinds of people who are going to be trying to play in this election in a moment when electronic media is more important to the election than ever. And it's always super important, but there's going to be less in-person campaigning than ever before. And there's more opportunities for mischief. All of those things strike me as things that you'd be nervous about. And the fact that, you know, that as you say, David, is that you have a presidential candidate who showed in 2016 without the awesome power of incumbency and all that money and all that organization and the and the power of of the the White House and that big plane, all of that, he's was willing to do things that no one had ever done before and had no right. shame. He's gonna I mean, yeah. is, is there anything literally can, can I mean, Within the bounds of like of, of, of whatever parameters you want to set, does anybody on this call think that Donald Trump, that there's anything Trump wouldn't do 
to win this election? No, I got a call. I got a call from a from a, a former a former uh, high ranking intel guy the other day who said, "Watch what's going on in Iran. They they there you know there have been these mysterious explosions and provocations uh, that have uh, the imprint of both Israelis and Americans on them. That and he he was worried that there might be a conflict there, uh, and that there might be an impetus to have a conflict there." You know, I mean, I, I just think that this makes this, you know, this is not a conventional election to analyze uh, because we, we just don't know. I agree with that. But there is something that Trump won't do to win the election, and it would really help him. There's one thing. Say he's <laughs> wrong. Admit a mistake. That he blew COVID, yeah. let the energy out of it. And he'll never do it, yeah. and it's the best thing he could do. Listen, if he, if he had had the impulse or the inclination or the discipline to do that, he would have started from the beginning doing what governors have done. I was looking, yep. at, the, I was looking at this NBC poll from North Carolina the other day that had him up, uh, I think it had Trump, uh, uh, Biden up seven. But what was really interesting to me was Trump was at a 45, 48 three points under on his approval rating. The Democratic governor of that state, Roy Cooper, is at 59.35. Why? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he's handled this COVID crisis responsibly. And by the way, that was the state that Trump was, he was angry at Cooper because he wouldn't let him have his rally, his convention there. Uh, Overwhelmingly in this poll, uh, I think 61% of the voters there said the state was right to prioritize its health protocols for large gatherings over the objections of the president. So if he had just behaved like the governors have behaved or many of the governors and acted responsibly, I think this would be an entirely different, a different election right now. Totally. It it was actually a big opportunity for Trump, but the crazy got in the way, which is not surprising. We all look at some mail, man. Yeah. Mailbag. All right, Matt, specifically address this question to Mike Murphy. Since he worked on George H.W. Bush's 88 campaign that's getting a lot of attention this week because Dukakis had a huge lead at 1.17 points, I believe, after the convention it was, as Biden currently does, but still lost decisively. Mike, from your recollection, this is where I ask you that uh, mental acuity question. <laughs> but anyway, from your, from your recollection, what happened in that race that allowed Bush to come back and what can or can't that race tell us about where 2020 might go? Well, first of all, Y-H-P-R-U-M, okay? There's my name backwards. I, you guys try it. All those X's and Axelrod, it's not easy. Uh, that, is, that is a great question. So the truth is, I'll, I'll never forget driving through, Alex Castellanos and I, driving through at night the combat zone, as it was then called, of Boston, with a camera strapped to the roof of a station wagon, engaging in dialogue with people who were throwing stuff at us as we did a little film, Welcome to Massachusetts, about Mike Dukakis. We did then in 88 what you guys in the Obama campaign did against Mitt Romney and has been done a lot, which is we moved the focus of the election away from what people didn't like about President Bush, which was mostly linked to the economy, to who is this guy that would replace him? And oh my God, he's worse. So we were able to do a better job defining Mike Dukakis than Dukakis did, and that worked pretty well. Campaign led by Roger Ailes, by the way, on the media side, uh-huh. and it was, it was probably one of the that the, the the weeks between that Democratic convention and Labor Day were probably some of the most effective weeks of negative media that I have seen in American politics. I think the difference here is that uh, 
Trump is is so much part of the issue and the virus has made him more so. Uh, people have decided, as you say, many people have decided they want to fire him. Biden does have to be careful and he has to use this convention and the other uh, sort of the, the debate, certainly, and his own advertising to fill in blanks about himself so that Trump has not. But Trump lost the opportunity to do that because of the virus. And I think it's cost him. The world is so different now. And obviously, there could not be two Republican politicians more different than George Herbert Walker Bush and Donald J. Trump. But I do think one thing is interesting to think about about that race, which is that the, the troika of issues that, 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 that Bush used against Dukakis, the, the furlough program and Willie Horton, yeah. the, the, yeah. the, pledge of, the Pledge of Allegiance and, and Mike yeah. Dukakis's membership in the ACLU. That, that was the holy trinity or the unholy trinity that, that was used to take Dukakis out. And the interesting thing about it is that all of them are completely made up bullshit issues that had nothing to do with being president. And it does kind of point out that the world is really different now, but the, it raises the question and what the Trump campaign really has to do with Biden is to try to essentially run a campaign, a negative campaign against him, kind of about nothing. That's what they're, they have the same challenge that the Bush people pulled off. But I thought you were going to make a different point. You you imply it, but the, those culture, were culture, culture, culture issues. war issues. Yes. Totally. And, and 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 Trump is nothing if not a cultural warrior. George yes. H. W. Bush wasn't. He sort of he asc- he assented to it because he knew that was the only way he could win. win right. Trump really believes it. He and uh, right. you know and he, he so there's no doubt that's where he's going to go. The question is the question is in the midst of a uh, of a, a, a hundred year pandemic, a uh, hundred year epic pandemic, and all the things that are going on here, uh, can that prevail. Well, and that's why memories of that campaign are why I'm so obsessed with the vice presidential pick, because um, I don't want to see Biden open the door to uh, letting those kind of things be created. Now, the other difference, though, is that Trump is an incumbent. You know, Bush had been the VP to the end of Reagan, so he was kind of a semi-incumbent, but it was more an open seat, which was about a, a, a jump ball to define. And on this one, yes. Trump is defined, and Trump, again, as we keep saying, goes on television in the middle of a pandemic every night and keeps defining himself in the wrong way. So that, that gives Biden some real headwind that Dukakis never had. All right, next question. All right, here we go. I'm going to read this one to uh, you, David. This comes from Mari. I believe that name is spelled correctly. It's M-A-R-R-Y. I've never really seen a Mari before, but okay, here we go. Or Mari, it could be a typo and it could be Mary. But anyway, or it could be, it's either Mari or Mary, one or the other. Mari, yeah, Mary, okay. we appreciate your, your question to David Axelrod. David, what kind of message can the Biden campaign send to former Trump supporters that have come to their, to have come to their senses, however belatedly, and welcome them back to the real world where consequences matter? Hard to admit being duped, but is there a soft touch inclusive message? Yeah, you know, I think this is really important because I don't think you invite people over to your camp by telling them what stupid idiots they were in the first place. And I, I think, you know, there, there, there's been advertising running. I don't know whether it's uh, under Biden's aegis or some of the third parties. Maybe it's yours, Murphy, but uh, of testimonials from Republicans who voted for Trump who have changed their mind and explaining why. And I think it's really important to create that permission structure for those Republicans who want to cross over to say, we did this. It didn't work out. Uh, it was it, it turned out to be a mistake. We did it for, you know, the, what, uh, the reasons we understand. But now uh, we have to acknowledge we got to take a different direction. And I think, uh, you know, the heart one of the things that uh, would be 
a negative is, you know, this kind of attitude of, I can't believe anyone ever voted for Trump. I can't believe you did that. If they let that kind of thinking prevail or or seep into uh, their media, they're gonna, that's going to be counterproductive. No, it's totally insular and stupid. Yeah, at RVAT, RVAT.org, you can see over 500 <laughs> of the, oh, quit snickering. You can see over 500 that's ads. What we, we shamelessly plug it. Uh, we'll get the right, circus come on, in come, here, Yeah, man. circus, showtime. You can see over 500 real Republicans talking about why they, they are going to vote for Biden. And it's all about permission. And it, it, it is really a key message. So there's a lot of that going on. All right, Heilman, this is for you. You got to earn your living, Hackeroo. Given the age of both candidates, how would a serious illness affecting either one impact their campaign? Good question. Is there a point where the VP steps up to the top of the ticket? Yeah, there, I'm sorry, there's no, a typo. The yeah, I'm sorry, the light bulb broke in here. I'm working in darkness. Person, all right. yeah, man, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, woman, all right, camera. All right, shut up already. Here we go. Is there a point where the VP steps up if the top of the ticket got incapacitated? And who makes that call? Are there any John Heilman historical precedents? It's easy for you to say. Careful, you're going to get mail. No. Um, listen, it's Paul's question, and it's a good question because we obviously have two septuagenarian candidates in Donald Trump and Joe Biden. I think, you know, the, the first thing is that both of them obviously are taking enormous extraordinary care not to get sick in this environment. And both of them, I think, and the people around them have a perception that in the age of COVID, um, either the president of the United States getting COVID or Joe Biden getting COVID, contracting COVID would be a political calamity of unprecedented scale. And of course, you know, there would be some that many people in, within their parties would feel sympathy for them. But the, pro, the sort of sight of a septuagenarian candidate who radiated that kind of weakness, even though, of course, we know that the, the, the being succumbing to the virus is not a sign of weakness in politics, it would look very much like that. And, you know, for Biden, you know, with Trump trying to make him seem like he is frail and not up to the job, uh, it would be devastating. You know, if Trump were to get sick, it would be devastating in a different way. The strong man felled by the virus that he didn't take seriously. These would be kind of cataclysmic events. And so both of them are I probably Biden more than Trump are taking extraordinary measures to not put themselves in positions where they are have a high likelihood of contracting uh, the virus. And, you know, the next thing is the the question of what would happen then. Right. I mean, it, it this late. I think both by on the constitution, obviously on the presidential side, the vice president would step up and be president and would become the top of the ticket on the Democratic side. You know, you're not an office holder, but at this late phase, it would be a pretty much a foregone conclusion that the running mate would step up into the into the into the top slot, even though I'm not sure there's anything legal that would compel that um, because it's a party matter. Um, But I think it would happen. I'm not sure about that. I I wonder if the Democratic National Committee or the Republican National Committee would convene and. uh, and a, a new and a new, a, a a new convention yeah no they they, i think they would do it as a committee they could there's right. probably a provision to replace uh the candidate yeah, it, it's either rnc and dnc or the state parties have to recast their delegates to the uh, uh, direct the i somebody went through this for me once and it's incredibly arcane but it's the party committees but your major point john is 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 right which is it would be a real blow to either candidate to become ill uh, during this campaign because they are older candidates and these are questions about them, uh, you know. Uh, and so, you know, there, the re- there are reasons why uh, Biden's staff has been so careful about how he appears in public and when he appears in public. Uh, and I'm sure the president's staff is, is, is trying to uh, 
he may not want to wear a mask, but everybody around him seems to these days. Probably one reason why he can't remember the last time he saw his national security advisor. I thought that was kind of classic <laughs> the other day. You know, like a national security advisor yes. has COVID. When's the last time you saw him? He's like, I don't really yeah. remember. Who is he? It could be I like a week yeah. ago. Yeah. <laughs> Who was is he that, that guy? guy? Was, he, was he that guy in the mask? I, I, yeah. don't, I don't know. <laughs> Never met him. Hardly know him. Okay, it's time for last call. I'm going to plug my uh, my other podcast, The Axe Files, again, because I talked to Tony Fauci uh, in that podcast, and, and uh, we can play a little sound from that. And I, I've seen a side of society uh, that I guess is understandable, but it's a little bit disturbing. You know, back in the day of HIV, when I was being criticized with some hate mail, it was more, you know, people calling me a, a gay lover and what the hell are you wasting a lot of time on that? I mean, things that you would just, you know, push aside as being stupid people saying stupid things. It's really a magnitude different now because the amount of, of anger, I mean, as much as people, you know, inappropriately, I think, you know, make me somewhat of a hero, which I'm not a hero. I'm just doing my job. There are people who get really angry uh, at thinking that I'm interfering with their life because I'm pushing a public health agenda. I mean, the the kind of not only hate mail, but actual serious threats uh, when, against, uh, against me are not, are not good. I don't really see how society does that. But they Yeah, do. How, do you, how do you process that? You know, it's tough. I mean, it's tough. I mean, serious threats against me, I mean, against my family, my daughters, my wife. I mean, really? Uh, is this the United States of America? But it's real. It is really a, an astonishing and dismaying part of our time here that a guy like Tony Fauci, who's devoted his life to the country, who's trying to follow the science and, and, and lead us out of this, should be now traveling with security because he and his family have been seriously threatened because he did his job. And I just want to give him a shout out and tell all the idiots out there who are, who are dogging him, menacing him, threatening him, that uh, you're a disgrace to the country. Okay, I couldn't agree more. Here, here. Quick double plug from me. One, Joe Trippi has a new podcast. Check it out. It's a lot of fun. He's a cat who's been around the racket a long time. It's on iTunes and all the usual places. And second, a salute to the teenage and college Republicans where dissident chapters are breaking out all over the country to oppose Donald Trump. That's an Tremendous sign, and it, it's courageous for people just starting out in politics to have the guts to do that. So I salute you, and I think you'll be hearing more from them in the anti-never-never Trump, we can lease Biden, we don't have to buy movement this year. And guys, I will tell you that I am uh, I am returning to New York City at the end of this week after having been away from the city for uh, for really since, since the, since the pandemic started going back to relaunch a television show that I make on for Showtime, the circus with other hackaroos, Mark McKinnon and Alex Wagner, who've been sitting on the show with some frequency. We are getting ready to gear up for a 13 episode run beginning on August 16th. That's the Sunday night before the democratic convention starts. We are not sure how we're going to execute this show, which is like the ultimate field show in American politics. So what we're going to do, how we're going to stay safe, what there is to cover, how we're going to cover it. We don't really know, but we know we're going to be on the air for 13 straight weeks starting that Sunday. And I'm a little terrified, but also a little excited. And, you know, we're going to be kicking off basically on the eve of that first of those conventions, that Democratic convention that 
thought that the Democrats worried was going to look lame next to the Republican convention. Now Democrats are like, man, we're pretty smart doing this virtual convention and, and spending the last few months planning it because Donald Trump is completely fucked when it comes to his own convention. And we'll, But we're going to see, and the circus will be there. No matter what it looks like, no matter how they execute it, we'll be there, hopefully in survival mode. And to our listeners, if you've got a mailbag question, you can send it to hacksontap at gmail.com. We appreciate any questions, any comments. And of course, always give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us out. Johnny, thank you for doing the podcast here. Good to talk to you, X. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. <laughs>